Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Well, good morning and an early Merry Christmas to you. It's great to be together with you today. Thank you for being here on this. Uh, yeah, boy, if it, was, if it was 20 degrees colder, I guess it would be snow, right? And uh, I'm glad it's not. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah. Uh, we are going to look at that passage this morning, kind of a classic one for Christmas Eve morning. Uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, the first 20 verses. Thank you, Sonia, for getting us into, uh, into the first seven of them. Uh, we are going to be here tonight at 5 o'clock, and we invite you to join us. If uh, your holiday plans we allow for it, bring, bring those family members with you. Join us tonight, if you're able to, at 5 o'clock where we'll uh, sing, sing some more carols and hear a little bit more from the Word tonight. Uh, in the meantime, let's ask for the Lord's help as we uh, look at this passage. Lord, thank you so much for uh, just the joy and the privilege of, of getting to look at this passage together. Um, there's probably a few for whom this is, is new, um, but most of us have, have read it for a while, and, and, see, and uh, I would just ask you to bring, uh, bring our spirits alive to the living Word so that we... Um, see you and hear from you in a fresh way this morning. Uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. May the meditations of all our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. We dare to ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I was looking at a list the other day. It was a list of the hottest selling toys this Christmas. Uh, I don't pay a lot of attention to that kind of thing these days, to be honest with you. Our family's kind of past that stage, at least for now. Uh, but uh, I was curious. I was like, wow, what, are, what, are, what toys are selling now? What, what are the toys that kids want? So I was reading through this list, and I, I, some of them I recognized, or at least forms of them. For, ex, uh, for example, uh, number four on the list is a new version of Twister. So the old game Twister with the color circles that you'd spin the spinner and the kids would put their hands and feet on them. Apparently there's a new version of that, which is the fourth best-selling toy this year. Uh, it's, um, it involves sensors, of course, right? Sensors on your wrists and your ankles, and it's on the digital screen, and you do in the air. It's called Twister Air. So if anybody's looking for uh, Twister Air, and so you do all these contortions, apparently. Uh, the list came from Target, by the way, Target stores. They say this is number four. Uh, number six was a Nintendo Switch. That I recognize. It's a game system. I don't have one, but at least I know what that is. Uh, number five is kind of a comeback, because I remember versions of this when I was young. Uh, number five is a Barbie Dreamhouse pool party dollhouse with three-story slide. Uh, just the name tells you how big this thing is. And, uh, and it is. There's a picture of it. There's this little girl, and she, the, the dollhouse was taller than her. Three stories of Barbie dollhouse, I guess because of the, the movie this year. Uh, number seven, this offsets the Barbie. Number seven is a motorized Nerf gun. Uh, so guys, if you're still looking for ideas for your wife, uh, look for the, el <laughs> the Elite 2.0 Double Punch Dart Blaster. That's, that's number seven on the list. Number one, I, number, I won't go through all of them. Number one, the top item on the list, though, I really was very foreign to me. Uh, number one selling toy this year, uh, Pokemon Pikachu 14-inch Squishmallow Holiday Plush. I know what a Pokemon is. I've heard of those. I don't know what a Squishmallow is. If somebody wants to get me one, I'll, I'll cherish it always. But uh, <laughs> apparently that's the number one selling toy this year, a Pokemon Squishmallow. Well, thankfully... 
uh, the best gift of Christmas, the very best gift, is, does not change. It doesn't change from year to year. You don't need a list you need to check once a year. Uh, it's, it's always the same because the best gift of Christmas is, of course, Jesus. Uh, it's Jesus himself. It's a very simple message this morning, but it's a very true message. The best gift of Christmas is the person we're celebrating. It's Jesus Christ himself. I want to go through Luke's account today and uh, look at his telling of the birth of Jesus Christ. His is, if, if you have some familiarity with the Gospels, you know his is the, the fullest, the richest uh, telling of what happened when Jesus was born. And so we're going to look at his this morning. Um, I want to look at it in two parts. I want to look at it in terms of what God gave us. And so we'll start with God's gift to us. And then I want to talk about what we then give back to God. So we've got God's gift to us, our gift to God. When we talk about God's gift to us, really what I want to focus on is what, what is it God did, right? And again, just in the simplest of terms, what did God do for us when Jesus was born? And then our gift to God is, we'll talk about three responses, three ways we, uh, we respond to what God has done for us. And we see them here in the text this morning. So we'll start with God's gift to us. God's gift to us. What did God give us? What did he give us? Well, the answer is he gave us his son, right? God uh, sent his son. That's what we're celebrating. It is, it, he is God's son. It, and, and in the mystery that is the Trinity, it is God himself. God himself has come to us. This is what Luke describes for us. And he doesn't go deep in the theology. The theology comes from a lot of other passages. But, but this is what we have. This is what we witness in verses 1 through 7, uh, the birth of God's son. Uh, they're familiar verses, and there's lots here, very rich verses. I've probably done Christmas sermons from Luke. I've probably got a dozen different versions in my head. Uh, but so, so we can't cover everything that, that's here. But let me just focus on two parts, two parts of what he did here. I want to talk about the how and the why. So how was Jesus born, and why was Jesus born? And that really answers our, our question of God's gift to us. So, so the how part is humility, and that really stands out. Uh, more than any other detail, I think, in, in Luke's account uh, of, of what happened when Jesus was born, God humbled himself. God, the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-glorious God, humbled himself for us. And, and I, think, I, I do think that Luke emphasizes this in, in his telling. Um, just so, several of the details bring out the humility here of, of Christ's coming. Uh, for example, the family into which Jesus is born. Jesus is born into a, a common family. God chose Mary to be his, his mother and Joseph to be his stepfather. Uh, he, he leaves, God the Son leaves the throne of heaven to become the son of peasants. That, that's really, a, they didn't use that word necessarily, they were a different social structure, but, but in our way of understanding things, they are peasants. Most of it, Mary and Joseph are peasants. Um, now, Mary is a descendant of David, and, and Luke will actually bring that out in, uh, later in the book. Uh, Mary's a descendant of King David. Um, actually, so is Joseph, his stepfather. Jesus' stepfather is a descendant of David. But by the first century, that really didn't mean a whole lot. It was, it was more of a curiosity, a little bit like, uh, you know, if, if uh, somebody tells you their ancestors came over on the Mayflower. You know, you're kind of like, oh, okay. That's nice, but you're not going to hire that person because his great-great-great-great-great-grandmother came over on the, on the Mayflower. It doesn't matter to us. And, 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 and that's more or less, you know, yeah, Mary and Joseph can both trace their lineage back to King David, but there hasn't been a king on the throne from David's line for 600 years, which is a very, very long time. 
And so they are peasants. They are a common peasant family. But that's just the beginning of it, isn't it? Uh, Jesus was born where animals live. Right? That's the, the whole thing. With the, with the, he's laid in a manger. What's a manger? A manger is a, a feeding trough. Right? It's not Hebrew for bassinet. It's a feeding trough. Right? It's a place where, where animals get their food, which means Jesus was born with, with animals. Um, he, was, he was clothed in rags. Again, that's what swaddling cloths are. This isn't some nice soft fleece onesie. Uh, it's, it's rags. It's, it's, it's cloth they don't, aren't going to use for anything else. Uh, his first visitors are shepherds. Right? It's not grandma and grandpa or anything like that. His first visitors are, are shepherds. We'll talk a little bit more about the shepherds in a minute, but um, many of you know these, these were not the high-class guys from, from that first-century culture. They're from among the lowest social class, and that's who comes to attend to him when he's born. And so all of these different details show how, how Jesus chose to be born in simplicity. Right? Even the fact that he's buried in a... He's, excuse me, he's, he's, he's laid in a... Um, a borrowed manger, right? It's not even that they were able to get, there's not room in the guest room or, or in the inn, depending on your translation on that. All of it, it's all to emphasize his humility. He humbled himself, even the birth of a baby, even as a baby. And what that humility does is it shows us something very wonderful about God's character. It's really the emphasis of that, that this fourth Sunday of Advent. It, it emphasizes his love for us. Why would he do this? He does it because he loves us. He embraces our humility, our, our hardships, our struggles, our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. Jesus enters into all of it, all but the sin. He enters into all of it but the actual sinfulness that you and I bear. And he does it because he loves us. Uh, this is a huge part of what makes uh, Jesus the best Christmas gift of all. He came humbly as a demonstration of his love for us. Uh, and, 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 you know, it really helps us appreciate the approachability. Our God is, is near. He is, he is with us. Emmanuel, we talk about, we, you know, we sing it a lot of times. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. That's Jesus. And that humility really emphasizes that. Years ago, I, um, and, I, and I saved this, I put it in one of my Christmas folders, uh, popped up again th- this year. Uh, years ago, I saw this comic. It was the, the Family Circus comic. People remember the old Family Circus comic? Um, you know, it's always like a little circle and, uh, you know, some funny thing that the kids or occasionally the parents would do in this little, this comic. And uh, one year, uh, the artist um, did a, a Sunday panel, a Sunday comic, which meant there were three panels about Christmas. And in the first panel, the, the little boy, one of the children, his name Billy, little Billy is uh, at church, like what we're doing. And uh, Billy is, is at church and he's praying and he's got a little t- little kid tie on and he's sitting there and he's praying and in his mind's eye he sees god high and lifted up right like like on a throne he sees this you know god is an old man you know a lot of times that stereotype and and the little boy has a little bit of a worried look on his face he's got his little hands clapped and he clasped and, and he's got a worried look on his face in the second panel he's at home he's at home he's kneeled down next to his bed he's got his jammies on and he's praying before bed, so he's saying his nighttime prayers, but now he's picturing Jesus in the manger. And then in the third panel, his mom has come into the room, and the little boy says, uh, praying is, is much easier. It's much easier for me to pray, he says, when I think about baby Jesus. And, 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 and he's right into something there. That artist was into something, because that's a big part of this. We benefit by uh, the understanding and appreciating more richly the humility of God and the compassion of God 
in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, we know Jesus didn't stay a baby. There's not a baby on the throne of heaven right now. It's Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's Jesus glorified. He didn't stay a baby, but the birth points us back to that. It points us back to this reality that Jesus is God with us, and he loves us. So, so that's, that's the how. He came in humility. But why was it so important for that? Why was it so important for, for, for him to humble himself? What was, what was the mission? What was the purpose? Well, that's the other part of what we, we, we get here in the text. And the answer to this one is that he came to save us. So God humbled himself to save us from our sins. God became human to save humans from our sin. Uh, let's keep reading. And uh, again, Luke's is a narrative. It's not as densely theological as you'll get in Paul's letters and some of the Old Testament prophecies, but it's all here. It's all here. Uh, I'll pick up in verse 8, because we're going to go through 20 this morning. So in verse 8, we read, And in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we'll stop there for now. Jesus came for all kinds of people. That's one of the things that gets emphasized in the, in the, in the nativity accounts. Uh, we see this, for example, with the shepherds, right? So we meet the shepherds here in these verses. The shepherds are the first people to bear witness. They are the first people to bear witness to the birth of the Messiah. And they say, well, what about Mary and Joseph? Okay, yeah, they were there too. They were, they were there first. They were the first first witnesses. They kind of had to be there though. Uh, as far as outside of the family goes, the first ones the Lord summons are these shepherds. And I said it a minute ago, the shepherds are humble men. As far as first century Jewish culture is concerned, they are very low, very low on the social ladder. They're not at the very bottom. You'll have like, you know, maybe lepers and, and you know, Gentiles, as well. but they're, they're, they're way down there. They're way down there. These aren't royal figures or anything like that. And they're the ones who get to be the first. They get to be the first witnesses, witnesses, and they're summoned. Don't miss this. They don't stumble upon it by accident. They are summoned. God summons the shepherds. He gives them the honor of being the first people to see his son. And so, again, they're not wealthy. They're not powerful. powerful. They're not connected. They're certainly not royalty. They're not theologians. They're not philosophers. They are just normal, common people just like the vast majority of us, all through the centuries. And, and see how Luke underlines this for us. Jesus was born for, for all of us, all us common people. But it's not like those who don't fit in that category are excluded. After the shepherds, and it's sometime later, you'll get it in Matthew's account within a few months, maybe as much as a year or so. But, but soon after, the Lord brings these other guys, right? The Magi. The, the wise men, the Lord brings them too. And they are wealthy and they are wise and they may well be royally connected and all of these other things. And so, yes, the, the shepherds are there, but then the Lord also summons the, 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 the wise men, the magi. And so what's the message? What's the message? The message is that Jesus didn't only come for the poor and the downtrodden. He didn't only come for the Jews because those magi are Gentiles. He came 
for all of humanity. He came for all people who would trust in him. That's, that's a big part of the Christmas message. It's a big part of it. Don't resent it when you read, you know, you read some news story, you hear, see some person, you're like, oh, you know, he's celebrating Christmas, but he doesn't really believe it. You know what? That's good. That's good because Jesus came for that person. Maybe that person hasn't accepted it yet, but that's a good thing. So he came for all people. And what did he come to do for all of us? It's to save us from our sins part. He came to save us from our sins. That's why the angel announces in verse 11, unto you is born this day a Savior. A Savior is born to you this day. A Savior from what? The answer is at the end of the previous chapter. So it's not in this specific account this morning, but it's very close to the end of the previous chapter. It's chapter 1, verse 77. Uh, do you remember Zechariah has this prophecy about his son, John the Baptist? We, they didn't call him John the Baptist at first, but uh, his son, John, and he's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And that Messiah, Luke 1, the Messiah would come to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So you and I, as, as sharp readers of this text, when the angel announces a Savior is born, we know what he means. He doesn't mean a Savior from Rome. He means a Savior from our sins. A Savior, one who would save us from our sins. And so what did God do? That's what he did. He sent his son. He humbled himself to save us from the brokenness and the wretchedness and the eternal lostness of, of our sin. So now let's talk about our side of this little story. Let's, let's talk about it. Uh, God's gift to us is he sent his son. Our gift to God is that we respond to him. We respond to him by faith. And so our gift to God is that we respond with faith. And we see this with the shepherds. I love the shepherds. The shepherds show us what it looks like to respond to, to this gift that we're celebrating this time of year. And their response actually comes in three forms. And I just want to spend the rest of my time just walking you through these. There are three responses here that they model for us. They're all a different manifestation of faith in Jesus. And so let's just look at these three ways that the shepherds show us how to respond to Jesus. Number one, the first response is to come and see. Come and see. Check it out. Especially if you're not sure about it. If you're not sure about this whole thing, investigate it. Come and see what God has done. That's what the shepherds did. Let's pick up in verse 12. I'll read through verse 16 now. The angel is still talking in verse 12. He says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the angel tells them what to look for. The angel tells them what to look for. He says, here's a sign. So a Savior's been born. Here's a sign. Here's how you'll know him. All right, here's how you'll know the Savior I'm telling you about. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths those, those rags I talked about before, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling, swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, most of us have heard this story before, and so we say, of course, that's where they'll find them. You know, they'll find them in the manger, duh, that's how it works. Uh, but to them, this, this, 
This is the unusual part, the manger part. To us, it's been part of a million children's programs and all the rest. But to them, it's like, wait, what? We'll find the baby where? In a manger? You don't put your baby in a manger. Who puts their baby in a feeding trough? You don't put your baby in the feeding trough. You put your baby in the cradle or, or in a crib or next to mom. You don't put the baby in the manger. And so that manger is, it's, it's not just a beautiful picture of his humility, it's also the sign. It's the sign that the shepherds know they found the right one. And so the, the uh, angel, uh, we always presume Gabriel, tells them this. Uh, and then we get a whole army of angels. Right? So there's been just one up till now, but suddenly there's thousands of them, and they're all praising God for the baby. Right? So, and they're all praising God for this baby that was just born, not multitudes or heavenly hosts. It's thousands and thousands of angels. And then just as soon, they leave. The angels leave. Everything goes back to normal. And uh, these shepherds are, are standing there. Right? Put yourself in their, in their place. They're standing there looking at each other. And I always imagine that for a minute or two, nobody says anything. All right? I mean, what, what, you know, it's a little bit like you look at each other. Did you see that? Was that just me? You know, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a sense of, um, of shock, I think, holy shock. The text doesn't say that, but uh, you've got to imagine they're standing there looking at each other. And then somebody says, let's go see. Let's go see. Let's go investigate this thing that the Lord has made known to us. And off they go, Luke says. He says they rush into Bethlehem. They made haste. Uh, may have been a little bit of a distance. May have been a couple of miles out into the, to the fields where the sheep were, were, um, were pastured. Uh, and, but we don't know. We don't know the distance. But it's, there's some running that needs to happen, Luke tells us. They come into the little village. It's not a lot of people, just a few hundred in, in first century Bethlehem. And they start looking. They start searching. And they have to search because contrary to the movies, there's nothing tell, telling us that the shepherds were led by the star. I know the movies always have, you know, the shepherds follow the star. and No, the magi follow the star. The shepherds, they had to find the baby the old-fashioned way. They, they had to look for him. That's why the angel has to give them a sign. The angel didn't tell them, look for the star. The angel told them, look for the baby in a manger. And so they start looking. And I, I love to imagine they're going house to house, right? How else are you going to find a baby? So it's kind of, you know... Hi, you got a baby? <laughs> you imagine it, right? You open the door, what do you want? Because you know, it's the middle of the night. It's nighttime. And, and they're going from house to house to house until they finally find the one. Well, okay, well, around the side, there was a baby just born. And they, and they finally, they find this, this baby lying in the manger. Not in a crib, not in a bed, not in a cradle, but in a manger, just like the angels said. That's what they find. That's what they go and see. You know, I, I wanted to say this morning, I do not assume that everyone listening to me right now believes what I just said. I don't assume it. Maybe you do. Maybe every single person in the room does. But I don't assume that you do. Uh, not on a day like this. And, and so what I want to say is, is, if that's where you're at, that's great. I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to encourage you to do what the shepherds did. Take inspiration from the story. Check it out. Check it out for yourself. Come and see. Come and see what God has done. Um, if you'd like to do that, I actually have a little gift I'd like to give you. I have a little book here. Um, this little book is called uh, The Case for Christmas, and I grabbed eight copies of this the other day, and I would love to have all of these gone uh, bef before I leave today. Uh, and so uh, it, what it is, it was actually written by a man who used to be an atheist. His name is Lee Strobel. Uh, he was an atheist, had no interest in Jesus or Christianity, very successful uh, journalist, as I recall. 
And uh, his wife became a Christian. This was probably 20, 30 years ago. His wife became a Christian, and he loved his wife. And so he set out to understand this thing she'd gotten into. Actually, his goal was to prove her wrong. He wanted to go back to her and say, look, honey, you're in deep into some weird occult thing or something. And uh, she just basically became a Christian. And, uh, and so he began to investigate. He did what the shepherds did. He came and saw. He came and began to look into the evidence. Um, it ended up going the other way. He hoped to pull her out. It ended up pulling her in. Jesus pulled him in. He became a Christian. And uh, he ended up writing a book called The Case for Christ. This is like a little excerpt from it called The Case for Christmas. If you'd like to, to think through some of these, these details without a guy up front talking at you, but just in your own reading through a little book, um, come see me afterwards. I've got eight of these. I, I could have just put them out somewhere, but I'd like to be able to just give it to you. I promise I won't grill you. I won't uh, preach at you. Um, I won't call you Tuesday morning and say, what did you think? Um, I'll just give it to you, hand it to you, and say Merry Christmas. Uh, and so if you'd like to investigate it, or if you've got someone, you know, you're like your sister-in-law is coming this afternoon, and you know she's open, but she doesn't believe, um, I'd be love to give you the little book, and you can just take that and, and share that with somebody. But it, it, it's what we're talking about. It's what the, the, the shepherds, I think the shepherds believe it. They, it's not that they think the angels are liars, but they go and see. They go to investigate. And that's what we have to do. That's a faith response, to come and see what God has done. So that's response number one. The second response, and we see it again with the shepherds, is to go and tell. Go and tell. Right? We're going to sing it. I know I heard it being rehearsed. Uh, maybe it's today. I'm not sure if it's this morning or this evening. But go and tell. Go tell it on the mountain and everywhere else, just like the shepherds did. And that's what we see in uh, the next two verses, uh, 17 and 18. Uh, verse 17 says, And when they, the shepherds, saw it, saw what? The sign, the baby lying in a manger, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, so they're not just telling Mary and Joseph, all who heard it wondered, and it's that same word marvel that we looked at with Zechariah, if you were here a few weeks ago. They wondered, they were amazed at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds in the Christmas story are the first evangelists. They're the first ones to go out and tell other people about Jesus. You see it right there in verses 17 and 18. Uh, we don't know how long they stayed, right? So we, we do know they came to attend uh, the, the, the newborn king. They came to pay him homage, really, is why, why they're summoned to bear witness to his birth and to pay him homage. Uh, so they come and do that. Um, I don't think they would have stayed very long, personally. Uh, if I were Joseph, I would have shooed them away, wouldn't you? Uh, right? I mean, Mary just had a baby, uh, and so I can't imagine she's thrilled with these guys here. Uh, and, and so just from a very practical standpoint, they probably didn't stay a whole long time. But however long they stayed, what's the, the important part that Luke wants us to, to see is what they did next. They went and told people. Right? They made known the saying, the text says. They told people about the angel and the message they gave and the, the heavenly choir singing and, and the sign of the baby in the manger. Where a manger? I know. Yes. He, he, did you hear the baby crying? It's the Messiah. The angels said, it's the Messiah. It's the Savior. They went out and told people. God wants you and me to do the same thing the same calling. Uh, being a witness isn't just for shepherds. It's for everyone who believes. And so if you're a believer, 
God has entrusted you. He's entrusted me with this good news. It's not just for ourselves. It's to be shared with others. And so that's another faith response. Come and see and go and tell. Finally, the third faith response that the shepherds model for us in this text is to praise and worship. Praise and worship. The God who humbled himself to save us from our sins deserves our worship. It's just like we sang at the beginning of the service, come let us adore him. Come let us adore him. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Again, that's what the shepherds do. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, perhaps her own form of worship, but we won't spend much time with Mary this morning. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds go back. They go back to their fields. I love that. They go back to their normal lives. Right? They don't quit their jobs. They go back to what they were doing. But they're not the same. They are not the same men. These men have been changed by what they've seen. And we see this change in, in a handoff. There's a handoff that takes place in this text. Right? And, it's, and I think it's very striking. In verses 13 and 14, angels are praising. We have angels praising in verses 13 and 14. Thousands and thousands of angels. Glory to God in the highest, they sing. But in verse 20, six verses later, now the shepherds take up the song. So the angels have gone back to heaven, presumably to the throne room, right? They've gone back to do what they do. And now it's people. It's the shepherds who are praising the Lord. And look where they're doing it. I think it's so important. They don't run to the temple. And they could have. Bethlehem's not too far from, the, from Jerusalem, 10 miles or less. But they don't go running to the temple. They go back to their fields, They go back to their work. They take their praise back to the workplace, to where they live, to their fields, to their everyday lives. It's the same, but it's different. And what's the difference? The difference is now they're worshiping. They were probably faithful enough, (laughs) shepherds, uh, before, but now they're worshiping as they go. That's become part of it. It's the same response for us. Same thing for you and me. We respond to God's gift. We're doing it right now. We respond with praise and worship. Sometimes we, uh, we get bogged down. And this, this happens to me, it happens to you. We get bogged down by those everyday lives, right? The, the burdens, the tasks, the to-do lists, the trials, the sufferings, the struggles, the lengthy prayer requests. We just get bogged down in this stuff. And we forget Our souls forget this part. We forget verse 20. We forget to worship Jesus just because of who he is. Just because of who he is. And that is exactly what we see in the Christmas story. They are worshiping him because of who he is. He hasn't done anything yet. He's a baby. He's a baby lying there in this feeding trough. He hasn't done anything yet. But he's worthy. He's worthy, right? He's worthy of all that praise, the praise of the angels, the praise of the shepherds, Mary's pondering, Joseph's, what have I gotten myself into? All of it, all of it is is this praise, this praise that he's worthy of. And you know what? That hasn't changed. It was true then, it's still true now. He is worthy of our praise and our worship.
A couple of years ago, a, uh, a Japanese woman named uh, Meiko Komuro got married. Meiko Komuro, she got married. Now, normally that wouldn't make the news. People get married all the time. But uh, this woman, uh, she wasn't just anybody. Uh, she was a princess. Meiko Komuro was a princess in the Japanese imperial family. And uh, here's the part that really made it news. The man she married was a commoner. No royal blood at all. No uh, royalty in this man's blood. And that might be okay in, in some royal families, some monarchies, maybe they make that work, but not in Japan's. In fact, Japan actually has a law. Even post-World War II, uh, the Japanese uh, society has a law that if a royal person marries a commoner, he or she has to abdicate. They have to renounce their royalty in, able to, in order... They have to renounce their royal status in order to marry a commoner. And so that's what Mako did. That's what she did. She gave up her title, and she was actually the oldest grandchild of, uh, of the reigning emperor at the time. I think maybe he's not now, but um, at the time, uh, she was his oldest granddaughter. So she's kind of in the, in the chain there, uh, but she renounced it all. She gave up the perks, the title, even money. They were actually, she was due a big payout of over a million dollars. She even gave up that, all for the man she loved. And at last report, she and her husband live actually in New York City. They moved to America. They live in New York City, living a very normal, non-royal life. When I saw that story a few months ago, I thought, that's what God did for us. That's what God did for us. Not exactly. There's, there's some differences. It's not a perfect analogy. Jesus never stopped being God. He never stopped being the king of heaven and earth. But he did set aside the powers and the privileges, and the perks of his position. God Almighty, the creator of everything, becomes part of his own creation. He becomes a, a human baby. He is born a human being. He humbles himself uh, as low as you can go, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, all so that he can save us. So let's take it to heart. Let's take it to heart. If Jesus does all that for us, the least we can do is respond by faith. And so if you're not sure about it today, check it out. Be like the shepherds. Come and see for yourself. And if you are sure, if you do believe, if you do have your faith in Jesus, well, you be like the shepherds too. Go and tell. Go and tell somebody about Jesus, and as you go, worship him yourself.